0: Hey, how you guys doing? You guys doing all right? Hudson stop that. Oh my gosh. It is so good, though, to be able to look out and see my family, though. It's wonderful. First uh, service, uh, pumpkin was here, so that was really good. I see HUD out there. Is Caitlin out there, too? All right. Hey, princess. All right. Um, Well, the first thing that I really want us to do before we get started is I want us to pray together. Um, Specifically, I met a lovely lady named Sarah before the service, and she came in. She's been praying all night for her husband to get saved. His name is Ron. And um, she came up to me and to Pastor Sam, and she was like, before I left, I gave him a copy of the gospel course, which I thought was a cool little plug for my book, (laughs) Not really. But uh, anyway, so she came and she said, I gave him a copy of the gospel course. And she said, I told him to put down your newspaper. And just, she said, I want you to read this. And I want you to pray. I want you to read it again. I want you to pray. And uh, she's like, he is, he's a very good man. She says, I'm really, I want us to pray that God would rid him of that. So he would see that he needs Christ. So can we do that together? I mean, uh, before we got here this morning, man, the Holy Spirit was already working trying to bring people to Christ. So I told her we'd all pray together for him. So let's pray for Ron right now. Uh, Father, Lord, we want to lift up Ron. Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would go into his life, that the Holy Spirit would convict him of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Lord, I pray that you would break his heart. I pray that you would open up his heart to be able to understand like you did for Lydia I just pray that you'd help him, Lord, to understand his need, that he'd be able to see past his own righteousness. Lord, he's such a good man, but I pray you'd help help him to see not just his goodness, but to be able to see God, to be able to see your son and his need, Lord, for your righteousness that is beyond his own, that you would break his heart to be able to see the glory and the beauty of the cross, the necessity of your son's blood. Lord, I pray that you would bring him to your son through the power of the Holy Spirit, through your word. Lord, we pray for Sarah, that you give her wisdom as she continues to be a witness to this man that she loves. I pray this in Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, man, what a great way to start off. And what about those songs? Man, holy cow. I mean, I'm down there singing, and I'm like, who, who wants to hear the sermon? It was just like, it was wonderful. That uh, what, What's that song called? Uh, Forever? Holy cow. Um, see, I, I put in cow instead of crap, because we're in service. I didn't want to say holy crap. I said holy cow. So I'm trying to, you know, hey, we're trying to clean it up around here, okay? But uh, that song, Forever, is like... I mean, holy crap, it's just like, it's a, that's a great song. I was like just so excited, man, it's wonderful. And uh, she's got a great voice, doesn't she? And she uses it for the Lord. So thank you, Marcy, for doing that, it is wonderful. Yeah, he gave her a hand, that's really wonderful. And then Brian, he was up here, he was singing that last song. Uh, you guys take that old Angzine song and you kind of, you know, make it about the Lord, which is just amazing. And I could see as he was singing, you know, it was like, he, it was like, really, it was touching him. And I saw, you know, a little tear come down and I just thought, wow, what a wuss. No, I'm just kidding, dude. I'm just kidding. From, from one crybaby to another, I, I, I get you. Okay, so I want you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter five, verse 18. And uh, man, let me just say how much I love you guys. I'm just gonna say that because I'm never gonna be able to say it to all of you, but uh, I wish that I could hug every one of you. And uh, I just, I love you guys so much. I love this, I love this freaking place. I love this church. So thankful for what you've done for me, for my family. And uh, we'd never be able to repay you. Uh, I've been telling people uh, several times, anyone who will listen to me, I tell them, I've literally traveled to every corner of the United States. I've traveled to probably six or seven countries outside of the United States. And still, I've not found a church like this. It's so unique. It's wonderful. Man, I've got to get going. Gosh, I've got so there's I'm so full of things I would love to say to you. Uh, but this is just such a great place. Don't take it take don't take it for granted, especially if you've grown up here and you think, "Oh, well, this is normal." Not normal. This place is not normal. Okay? If you've met your pastor, you know he is not normal. Right? He is extraordinary. This place is extraordinary. Okay, if you ever get a chance to get out in the world, you will come screaming back because (laughs) this place is exceptional. Okay, uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, I want us to talk about this this very crucial thing. Because as we were talking about the other night, we don't want the flesh to rule in our lives, right? We want to take the evil Haman, black bag over the head, hang him on the gallows. We want to get him out of our life. He pictures the flesh, right? The whole point of the story is for Mordecai to be great. That's actually how the story ends. The story really doesn't end, even though Esther is kind of, you can can kind of pinpoint her as the heroine of the story because she's at the crucial moment where she really confronts the villain. And that's usually in a story how you can identify the real heroine of the story. But at the same time, people have debated, is the story really about Esther or is it about Mordecai? Because the story ends the way it ends, it's all about Mordecai, about how great Mordecai is, you know, in the, the kingdom. And so not only is that the point of the story, but it's really the point of your life, because Mordecai pictures the Holy Spirit. The whole point of your life is to get the flesh out of rule and put the Holy Spirit uh, uh, in, your, in that place in your life to be ruling and reigning in your life. And so that's what we want to do. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that as kind of a addition to what we learned the other night. Now, in March of 1961, as we're kind of easing into this, uh, in March of 1961, uh, Pele, you guys, anybody know who Pele is? Generally regarded as one of the greatest footballers of all time. And uh, you guys, anybody play football in here? I mean, proper football. You know, the one where you use your feet, right? The greatest sport of all time, right? Yeah, don't get me started. Alright? it is wonderful it's the it's the sport that the rest of the world plays right i'm just playing i'm just playing i'm not going to go there okay anyway pele who's an amazing footballer uh there was this uh, game in 1961 where he got the ball kind of on the edge of his penalty box of his penalty box he takes it all the way down the field okay just slicing through every single player, every bit of opposition, goes down and he fires the ball so hard like the goalie didn't even know what had happened. He's just there and he's like, okay, he's coming and it's just in the back of the net. He's just standing still. They regarded it as such a beautiful goal that they commissioned a plaque to be made. A plaque was then made. It was dedicated as the most beautiful goal in history. Don't you love to watch stuff like that? Gosh, I just love to be able to see people do that. And I look at it and I'm like, I could do that. You know, we all think, yeah, I could do that. And we know, yeah, it's just wonderful. And you start thinking to yourself, how in the world does anyone ever get that good at something? It's really spectacular to see someone just excel and do something with their body that you're just like, it's amazing. And you think, how in the world? And not just in sports, but in any area, any particular discipline there was this book that was written called The Influencer. It's a secular book, it was written some time ago. And they said, what they suggested in there after like 30 years of clinical study, they had come to identify certain things. And they said that usually within any particular skill, what you have to do if you wanna go from being just good to being the greatest at something is you had to be able to identify the most crucial behavior within that skill. There might be a number of things necessary in order for something in a particular skill to be accomplished, but you had to be able to identify the crucial behavior, and then you had to practice that particular behavior to death. If you really got good at that, then it would kind of take care of the rest, and that was what would really make you great at something. And you're thinking, Big deal. Who cares? Well, that's true. I mean, who does care? I mean, I'm not trying to tell you to go out and be productive. Uh, I hate that crap. I don't, I'm not trying to all that productive pro- productivity hustle culture. I think that that is just a bunch of bad advice. Okay, that's not what I'm telling you to do. But what I do want you to know is that the Christian life, within the Christian life, there is a crucial behavior that is essential to your christian life and you find it right here in ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 it says and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess but be filled with the spirit that's it right there be filled with the spirit that is the crucial behavior for the christian life being filled with the holy spirit is for the christian walk the most crucial behavior being filled with the holy spirit is not an option for the believer it is a mandate no Christian can fulfill God's will for his life apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit, as with John 15:5. You've heard it like six times through this conference, in various, from various people. They've quoted it. I'm the vine; you're the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you, ye can do nothing. You have heard it quoted so many times through the missions conference because we can't get away from it. If we want to accomplish this mission, we can never really do it in the power of our flesh, or at least we can. We can do a lot in the power of our flesh. But as we said before, even when we do accomplish something and we, quote, succeed in the power of our flesh, God doesn't even want it anyway, even when we're done with it. You know, we're like Cain offering up our sacrifices and, hey, man, look what I did. And he's like, I don't want that. So, even when we do accomplish something, he doesn't want it anyway. So, why bother? So that's the reason why we keep quoting this verse and saying it in several different contexts, because without Him, we can do nothing. Outside of the command for unbelievers to trust in Christ for salvation, there is no more practical and necessary command in the whole of the Scripture than for the the believer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we do not obey this command, we can obey no others. Think about it. If we do not obey this command, we can obey no other commands. I mean, do you think we can really accomplish this mission without being fulfilled? I mean, er, uh, being filled with the Spirit. Every time if you study through the book of Acts, every time that you see something amazing happen, it's usually preceded with someone being filled with the Holy Spirit. They get filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they go out and they share the gospel. They get filled with the Holy Spirit, and someone gets healed. They get filled with the Holy Spirit, and then something amazing happens if it's always preceded by someone being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now there are really kind of two kinds of filling in the Bible. Just to clarify, you have a filling of the Holy Spirit where God just empowers you for service. And you guys have been there, you're trying to share Christ, share the gospel with someone, and you're just like, I don't know, we kind of use our terminology sometimes. You just feel like you're like in the zone, man. And you're there and you're like sharing the gospel. And you, you are certain in that moment that you're like, this is not me speaking. You guys been there? You guys know what I'm talking about? Or maybe you've been preaching and you just like so like, it's almost like you can hear yourself preaching and you're like, this is not me doing this. And you just really feel the power of God on you in that situation. Now I've got nothing to say about that because there's no recipe for that. You can't manipulate that. God does that when he wants. There's no way. People have tried. You cannot. There's no recipe to create that scenario, right? In Ephesians 5.18, this being filled here, he's not talking about that. The, the being filled here, okay, I'm going to impress you really quick. It, it, this particular phrase, it is in the present passive imperative tense, Yeah, pretty cool, huh? I I looked it up in a book, okay? It's not impressive at all. Anybody can do that. You just look it up, it tells you. It's in the present passive imperative tense. Now, what that means, why that's important, is because what that statement, be filled with the Holy Spirit is saying, it's saying it like this. It's saying you need to be being kept filled. That's how we might say it. You need to be being kept filled. I know that's bad English, but that's what it's trying to say is that it's a command that includes the idea of a continual action. It's a conscious continuation of something. It's where the believer is constantly being submitted more and more to the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about just being empowered for work, which is real and it's, it's necessary, but it's outside of our control. This here has much to do with the decisions we make, right? Where we are continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now he says here, he compares in in the verse, he compares being filled with the spirit with being drunk with wine. Now, why does he do that? It may seem a little odd when he says, don't be drunk with wine. Why would he state that command here in the same sentence as being filled with the spirit? Uh, In this whole section in Ephesians, uh, the apostle Paul is constantly making comparisons. He's comparing light with dark, wise with foolish, And here he's comparing wine with being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason why he's doing that is he's not just making the statement that you shouldn't be drunk, even though it it is wrong to get drunk. But that's not really why he's stating that. See, to the Ephesians, as with most pagans uh, of that day, drunkenness was very closely associated with the idolatrous rites and practices that were an integral part of temple worship. In the mystery religions, which began in ancient Babylon, they were adapted with the Greeks and the Romans as well. The height of the religious experience was communion with the gods through various forms of ecstasy. So you have people out there spinning in circles, literally spinning in circles so they felt like they could see God. They would go to various places and they would breathe in the vapors. These oracles would breathe in the vapors and they would speak in tongues And they would give visions to people, prophecies. You know, they would drink all kinds of wine, have all kinds of sex and orgies and stuff like that. So they could, you know, it's like a weekend in Raytown, right? It's just, they're all the time just doing all this stuff, be close to God. So this is why Paul mentions in the verse, that's why he's mentioning you know, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You see that? Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He's mentioning the songs, hymns, spiritual songs, because he's comparing one form of worship with another. That's what he's talking about. That's the context. He's not just saying, don't be drunk, even though that's right, and that's true, you shouldn't be drunk. But that's not his point. He's comparing two forms of worship, one with another. And even today, uh, with the world today, the the comparison is not hard to track. I mean, why do people get drunk? Um, They want relief from pain and they want to experience some pleasure or joy. This is the world's answer to pain and to pleasure, is to medicate yourself with alcohol, narcotics, food, sex, uh, usually before or after uh, some sort of music or dramatic entertainment. That's the world's answer to pain or pleasure. The idea is to escape and to experience joy in various forms of ecstasy. You see, we may not visit the pagan temples, but the ritual is the same. The ritual is the same, right? Right? You you, you follow with me? Yeah, we, we do that. But Paul gives the right answer. Paul is saying that as believers, we don't need the world's answer to pain and pleasure. Instead, we run to our Father who fills us with the Spirit of His Son, and the most notable characteristic of being filled with the Spirit is joy. It's The most notable characteristic. I grew up in the South, in Florida, down the South, and down there, we got a lot of people filled with joy. We also got a lot of Christians, you know, they just— they just look like they've been sucking on lemons all day, you know? These people that feel like the more miserable you are, the more dedicated you are to Christ. You ever met people like that? My dad would call them like the chosen frozen, right? They just, you're a Christian. And, and they, they, they always thought back then, you know, that Sunday was the new Sabbath, so you couldn't do anything on Sunday. If you had joy or enjoyed yourself or went out to play, you know, you were going to hell. And it was just a day you're supposed to sit and be miserable for Christ. I, you know, I don't even know why people think like that. The most notable characteristic of being filled with the Holy Spirit is joy. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, the disciples throughout history have been able to endure the most trying circumstances and hardships, uh, and they've done so with joy in their heart. Look at First Thessalonians chapter one and verse six. If you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter one and verse six, when Paul, he's talking about how thankful he was for those Thessalonian believers. And he's like, man, I'm so thankful for this very real faith in your life that I can see. And in verse number six of chapter one, he says, and ye became followers of us, that is imitators of us and of the Lord. And look what he, look what he couples together here. He says, you became followers of us, having received the word in much affliction. Okay, it's bad enough affliction. He says, you received the word in much affliction and what, with what? With the joy of the Holy Ghost. What an odd couple, right? I mean, how do you put those two things together? They, they had much affliction and joy of the Holy Ghost. Man, can, if, if we could figure that bit out, there's nothing that would be able to stop us. And that's the reason why all through history, every time they try to step on us to stamp us out, we just spread. We just get stronger. Every time that they try to stop us, we just grow because Christians had that right there. Even in the midst of much affliction, they still had the joy of the Holy Ghost. You know, you see Paul and Silas in the prison and they're in the stocks, right? Which was actually a very painful thing. They would spread you out and they put you in this most uncomfortable position and they're like singing in the jail cell, you know? I mean, at, at that point, you're like, you're wondering even as a believer, if he's got the Holy Spirit or if he's just out of his mind, right? You don't know. He's like singing in the midst of that. What, man, I wish we could figure that out. The result of being filled with the Spirit is that it makes you want to sing gives you joy, makes you want to give thanks. No matter your circumstances, you want to, you you just have this kind of, you have like a smile on your heart, right? It's wonderful. Since the beginning of time, the world's been looking for um, a drug or a drink that can produce that effect but all they can do is really come up with just a pale imitation that just gives short-term relief and really long-term loss. And ultimately, it only increases their pain. In Galatians 5:22, when you see the fruit of the Spirit, the top three, right? What are they, the top three? They're love, joy, and peace. Love, joy, and peace. Is that Tad? Was that you that said that? Thanks, man. Love, joy, and peace. That's what we want. You know, nobody knows any about the rest of the list. We just really want the top three, right? No, the rest is important too. But looking at the top three, this is what the world is really after, is those top three. And how is it that the world gets love, joy, and peace? I'll tell you how they get it, booze. <laughs> That's how they get love, joy, and peace, man. They get it through good liquor. If you don't believe me, just go down to your local pub at happy hour. That's why they call it happy hour, right? They go down there at happy hour, and they're looking for love. You know, they have to drink a lot in order to look for love. It may just be for tonight, you know? I mean, how can it be so wrong when it feels so right, right? They're just looking for love in the moment, and they have to drink a lot because the more he drinks, the prettier she looks, right? They call them beer goggles for a reason, man. They're drinking because they're just looking for love, looking for love and they're looking for joy. One of the greatest things in the world is when you're traveling to a football match and I mean, as far back as on the train, because even when they get on the train, they're already hammered, right? And then they're all singing the songs, all the football songs. It's fantastic. I mean, they're all drunk and it's sin, but man, I'm, it's like, this is freaking cool. You know, and they're like all singing these songs and they go in the pub, they crowd into the pub and they're all holding on to each other, you know, and there's beer sloshing and they're singing these songs. And it's like, I mean, this is their church. This is their, these are their worship songs. They, Cause they want joy. That's what they want. They want love, they want joy. And then they, man, they need some peace. It's like you see two guys at both ends of the bar, right? One guy's down here, just lost his job. He's drinking, he's talking about, what are you talking about? It's a tough racket, man. No, I'm sorry, that's a movie line. Anyway, so the other guy at the other end is just got a new job. So he's celebrating, right? Same, he's looking for a little peace. This guy's celebrating his joy. It's the same situation on both ends of the bar. They're looking for love. They're looking for joy. They're looking for peace. Paul says, we don't have to run to the world's alternative because we have the real thing. Paul's conclusion, his kind of bottom line, what he's getting at is how we uh, can apply this to our lives. He's saying that Christians do not self-medicate They are spirit-filled. That's what he's telling us. That's the whole point of Ephesians 5.18. Christians do not self-medicate. They are spirit-filled. And think how often we do that. Now, let me ask you a couple questions. Um, What do you run to when you're down? Have you ever thought about that? When you're really down, what do you usually run to? And what do you usually run to when you celebrate? Again, those two guys at the end of the bar. When you lose your job, what do you run to? When you get the job, what do you run to? And it's really interesting to me, I, I think it's interesting, that a lot of times they're the same thing, right? What you run to when you're down, what you run to when you're up, they're, they're the same thing. For me, it's ice cream. That's what I run to. You know, whenever I'm really down, I'm like, man, punk, we need to get some ice cream, you know? I just, I need like some homemade vanilla style, you know, vanilla. That's what I need, that's my favorite kind of ice cream. It's not very exciting, okay, don't judge me. It's good, and then like, whenever something really good happens, I'm like, oh, punk, we need to get some ice cream, right? We need to go out and get some vanilla, yeah, woo, vanilla. And so, yeah, we get some of that, both, when we celebrate when I'm down, it's still me in front of a movie eating ice cream at two in the morning. What's, what's the deal? Both times, both ways, I'm still eating ice cream. What do you run to? Man, it, how often is it that when a great tragedy or a victory happens, man, we can't wait just to run to the Lord to give thanks. How many times have you had something really cool happen in your life and it's like a day and a half later and you're like, oh, I forgot to thank God for that. Anybody done that? Oh, it's like a little it's a little bit terrifying, isn't it? You wanna or you maybe you want to run to church to tell the family, man, this is what happened. You want to sing and praise the Lord. What do you run to when this happens? You know, it's the only option that the world has is to go to these things. They want relief from pain, they want to experience joy. It's the only option they have to medicate themselves with these things they can never really deliver, and ultimately they can only cause more pain. But we don't have to do that. The Christian does not self-medicate. He is spirit-filled. This is the crucial behavior for the Christian life. Uh, How would you like to be able to endure the pains of life without falling apart? Would you like to face your life with strength and clarity instead of being afraid all the time, not being so scared? Would you like to approach decisions with wisdom instead of feeling just so out of your element and foolish all the time? Like, like, like you miss the class and everybody seems to know what they're doing, but you don't know what you're doing, right? You feel foolish. Would you like to be able to face decisions with some wisdom? Would you like to be able to have your life together so that you could be together for someone else who might be falling apart? Instead of someone always coming to your rescue, you'd like to be that one who can be strong for someone else. Would you like to have real joy that produces that song in your heart to enjoy your heavenly father, to be able to really understand those, the love of Christ that's kind of beyond our understanding. Would you like to have some peace even in the middle of a storm? Isn't that so awesome? If you think about that, remember the disciples that are out there, the famous Bible story when We were kids, we see the ship and there's the storm and the disciples are in the boat and they're, they're, thinking, they're scared to death because they're going to perish and they look over and where's Jesus? He's sound asleep. Do you see the lesson? They think something's wrong. They're like, dude, what the heck, man? We're about to die in this water and you're sleeping, you know? I mean, you're the creator of the universe. We could use a hand, right? Right? It, they missed it completely. Do you see what he's, he's telling them? He's saying, no, no, no. He said, see, you, you want me to get up and be like you in the middle of the storm. I'm trying to teach you in the middle of the storm, you should be like me. That's how we, we're supposed to be, right? We're supposed to be able to have rest in the storm. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we could have that? We could think, man, this really does suck, but God's got me. And I know no matter how bad it gets, it's always gonna turn out well for me. To be able to carry that, even when you get dropped in the deep end, that'd be nice. You'll never, you'll never find those things by medicating yourself with the world's alternatives. You never will. I promise. Wine, food, sex, vanilla ice cream, thrill-seeking, get that next promotion. I mean, you can fill in the list. You know what I'm talking about. Entertainment, just watching shows that you don't even like them anymore. you just seen all the others. Has that ever happened to you? When you're like going through Netflix and it dawns on you that you've seen all the movies and you're like, there's something really wrong with me. I've seen all the movies. Okay, maybe I'm alone in that. I apologize. If you want to succeed at life, if I can use one of those bullcrap self help lines, right? If you really want to succeed at life, here is where you focus your efforts don't be, don't self-medicate, be spirit-filled. So how do you do that? How do we know if we're spirit-filled? I'm going to I'm going to teach you this and then we're going to be done and uh, I'm going to be so sad. I'm like dragging this sermon out cuz I really don't want it to be over cuz tomorrow morning I got to leave and I don't want to go. So I'm going to as I'm talking about I'm going to like think of like four other illustrations cuz I just want to stay here longer. So buckle up. Um, How do we know if we're filled with the Spirit? The phrase filled with the Spirit can be really confusing. But actually, you know, when I've been studying through the book of Esther, and we talked about that the other night, actually in the book of Esther, I'm going to show you this really small piece. It's not bigger, but not very big. But it really gives us the most vivid picture of what being filled with the Holy Spirit in order to just kind of dispel all the confusion. Because actually being filled with the Spirit, it's... It usually is a a, a subject filled with confusion, but it's not that confusing, really. It's actually pretty simple. And in the book of Esther, as we said before, Mordecai is really kind of the point. And the whole point of that story is for Mordecai in the end to be great. That's really the whole point. That's the whole trajectory of the story. In the end, for Mordecai to be great, for example, and don't turn there, but in Esther chapter 9, it talks about when those Jews got together to fight for them against you know all of their enemies and it says throughout all the cities and all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, they gathered together to lay hands on such who would hurt them and no man could withstand them for the fear of them fell upon all the people and the rulers and the provinces and the lieutenants and the deputies and the officers of the king it says they helped the Jews. It says because the fear of Mordecai fell on them for Mordecai was great. He, Mordecai was great in the king's house and his fame went throughout all the provinces for this man Mordecai waxed greater and greater and greater Do you see the point that's the point of the whole story is for that to happen and even as it really closes if you look at chapter 10 like chapter 10 is like this big really it's just kind of a little capstone on the end of the book it says and all the acts of his power talking about mordecai all the acts of his power and his might And the declaration of the greatness. This is the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai. That's what Esther is. It's the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai. Haman pictures the flesh. Mordecai pictures the spirit. Haman was in control. So they hung Haman and they put Mordecai in control. And they're saying, that's not just the point of the story. That's the point of your life is to get the flesh Haman out of there and to make Mordecai great to make this Holy Spirit great in your life. That's really synonymous with being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, in order to really explain this further, when I looked at the word great, I thought to myself, well, what does great mean? And you're like, well, Brian, if you don't know what the word great means, you probably shouldn't be up there. But if we look in the Bible, the best way to always define a word is to let the Bible define it for you right? So we look at the way that this same Hebrew word is translated differently in other places of your King James Bible. For example, now don't turn to all these. Just follow with me because I'm going to just make a short point. Uh, For example, in Zechariah 3.1, here's what it says. Here's the way it says. uh, It says, and he showed me Joshua, the high priest. Same word, the great priest. That's where the word great is used here it's used as high high priest also in 1 Kings chapter 2 verse 22 whenever Solomon gets mad okay because uh, uh, his his wife or his uh, his wife uh, Bathsheba she she wanted to offer the kingdom up he says what, what you what have you done I'm, I'm trying to find my verse oh Solomon answered and said unto his mother Bathsheba he says why dost thou ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah He says, do you ask the kingdom also for him, seeing that he is my elder brother? He is my greater brother. Same word. The same word great is translated as high and elder. Now, why is that important? Well, we want the Holy Spirit to be great. And what that means is that we want the Holy Spirit to be high in authority that's what the word great means. It means to be high in authority. There should be nobody in your life that is of a higher authority in your life than the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit only speaks to you one way, and that is through the word. That is how the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And you're like, yeah, but I was going on the road and I saw a billboard. No, no, he speaks to you through the Bible, right? And there should be nobody in your life that is of higher authority like the high priest, the elder brother, that he is great in your life when he is the highest. But not only does it mean that, but it also means, like in Esther chapter 4 verse 1, whenever Mordecai found out that Haman was in control, it says that he was weeping and wailing with a loud cry. The word great means loud. It also means loud. Not only does it mean high and elder, but it also means loud. You know what that means? It means that not only should the Holy Spirit be the highest in your life, the Holy Spirit should be the loudest voice in your life. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean volume. He's often kind of characterized as kind of a still small voice, but I can be in a whole crowd of people, and tons of people being to- are talking to me, and nobody's voice is louder than my wife's. she could be whispering to me, but I hear her more than anybody else. She is the loudest voice in my life, even though she, if you meet her, she's pretty soft-spoken. The Holy Spirit should be the loudest voice in your life. It also means big, great, like whenever he talks about Nineveh being a great city. It doesn't mean it's great, like this place is great, it means that it's big, filled with a lot of people. This word great means big there are a lot of things that take up a lot of space there are a lot of big priorities in your life and we know that we're filled with the holy spirit whenever the holy spirit is the biggest part of your life it's the biggest priority it's the biggest part of your heart he is the biggest part of your life nothing should take up more space than him it also means mighty in the book of jonah When it talks about how in Jonah chapter 1, verse 4, it says, The Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty, there was a great tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. We also have many powerful influences and forces and people that would try to move in our lives to be spirit-filled. means the Holy Spirit must be the most powerful and mighty force in your life. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want Haman to be out of there. We want to remove the flesh so the Holy Spirit can be great. And what does that mean? We want the Holy Spirit to be the highest in authority. We want the Holy Spirit to be the loudest voice. We want the Holy Spirit to be the biggest part. We want the Holy Spirit to be the mightiest person in your life. That's what it means. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why God gives us these, this picture book of the Old Testament, because it just clarifies this is how you know when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when He's the highest, loudest, biggest, and mightiest. That is our goal. That is our desire. That's what we want, is for the Holy Spirit to be great, for the Holy Spirit to be higher, louder, bigger, and mightier than anything else in your life. Do you have anything in your life that has taken up more space than Him? Do you have anything in your life that's it's bigger? You got any voices in your life that are louder? When was the last time you even heard it? When was the last time you heard his voice? This is why we take a stand against the flesh because we don't want the flesh to be great. We want the Holy Spirit to be great. As you look out over 2021 What kind of resolutions are you toying with? I heard Brian talking about resolutions, and somebody raised your hands, and I'm really sorry, but I'm going to try to do my best to jack all of that up right now, okay, your resolutions. If you guys want to come and take your place and maybe get ready uh, to play, because we're going to get ready to bow our heads and deal with this in just a second, but maybe you're looking out at 2021 right now, and you're thinking of all different kinds of resolutions of things that you want to do, right? and we are filled with them, right? we all got our list. We wanna lose a little weight. That's probably number one on the list, right? We all got that holiday weight. Some of us wanna get a little junk out of the trunk, right? If you're like me, I really need to put some junk in my trunk, I, I'm really lacking back there. I don't know, I looked on the app, they actually don't even have an exercise for that. I don't know how to put junk in the trunk. They're always telling you how to get it out. I need to know how to get it in, okay? I'm a little flat back there. So what's yours? What's your resolution? You wanna be better at time management. You wanna get more nutrition in your life, right? You wanna eat more vegetables. You wanna stop eating sugar. You wanna pay more attention to your wife. You wanna be a better father. You wanna be a better mother. You wanna be punctual. You wanna be on time. You wanna stop eating sugar and you wanna stop watching so much TV. You're gonna read a lot of books, that's a big one. You wanna do your finances, we gotta get a budget. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. Anybody there? You feeling it, all that stuff? Can I suggest that there is one crucial behavior in the Christian life? There's one place that you can focus your efforts that will literally, like dominoes, it will cause a chain reaction in every other area of your life. Imagine, if you will, that you're sitting on your bed. Go ahead and bow your head, close your eyes for just a second. Now just imagine that you're sitting on your bed, right? Imagine that you are sitting at your desk Whichever works better for you. So you're sitting on your bed or you're sitting at your desk and in front of you, you have all these slips of paper and they're just filled with all these things that you want to improve or accomplish in your life. Now, what I want you to do is and just in your mind, I want you just to brush all of them off the bed. Just brush all of them off the bed. I want you just to sweep all of them off of your desk. Now there is just one singular thing sitting there. One slip of paper and it reads, be filled with the Spirit. If we do not obey this command, we can obey no others. If we do, though, then it will, in fact, it will be like a chain reaction that will change and in time really begin to influence and change all the other areas of your life. I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to make the Holy Spirit great in your life. I want the Holy Spirit to be the highest authority. I want it to be the loudest. I want him to be the loudest voice. I want him to be the biggest part. I want him to be the mightiest person. This is the one crucial behavior that will change everything. Maybe now is the time for you to come forward. As we play, maybe now is the time for you to come forward and to deal with this. And you're thinking, well, it's not just one decision. It's maybe it's many decisions, and maybe that's true. But there could be parts of you There could be parts of you that you still have locked away things that you don't want to give up because being filled with the holy spirit is not as you've heard a thousand times it's not about you getting more of the holy spirit it's about him getting more of you and there are parts of you that you don't want to let him have there are things that you're doing sins that you hold on to and you love it so much and you would be heartbroken to part from it but you need to turn that over to Him. You need to unlock that and just let Him have it. Maybe He wants you to be involved in His mission and you're being reluctant and you don't know if you should. Maybe He's calling you to do something and you don't know and and you want to, to listen to another voice. You want to let something else take up the biggest part of your life. You want something else to be the mightiest influence in your life. You want something else to be the highest authority. Whatever it is, you just need to come and just lay it down and say, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to have every part of me. I want you to be the highest. I want you to be the loudest. I want you to be the biggest, mightiest person in my life. Now is the time for you to come down. Now is the time for you to come down if you want to deal with that. As we sing, please feel free just to come on down. If you don't want to come down, that's okay. If you don't want to come down, it's fine. But now would be the time to come down.